Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. While many of us don't necessarily believe that work will ever quite be the same again, we're at a stage where vaccines are being rolled out en masse and hopefully sometime soon the majority of desk-based employees will be able to return to the office. In this HR Chat episode, we're going to talk about how the pandemic has impacted company culture, operating models, and what areas of the HR department are changed forever. My super awesome, wonderful guest this time is Suzanne Lucas, aka the evil HR lady. Suzanne is a writer and speaker who focuses on HR and business issues. Before becoming the evil HR lady, she spent 10 years in corporate HR. Her work focuses on helping people managers manage better and helping employees understand how to navigate the world of work. Her work has appeared in Inc., The New York Times, CBS Money Watch, Cornerstone's Rework, and many other places. Suzanne, it's my absolute honor to have you join me on the HR Chat Show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Just a small question for you and to get things rolling. Um, in, in your opinion, what have been some of the biggest challenges facing HR pros as a result of the COVID outbreak? This is going to be something that I could talk about forever and a day. The the COVID outbreak from an administrative standpoint, I think hit HR the worst because not only were we tasked with um, dealing with laying people off, furloughing people, revamping schedules, changing hiring models, then governments were throwing new regulations at us every time we turned around. And, and so we constantly had to, to create new policies and answer questions. And overnight, we needed to become experts on disease and its control and containment. And, and we became the mask police at work. And, you know, just so, so, so much that that we had to do and do differently and still do it with you know a smile well well exactly i mean in in good times suzanne hr is perhaps focused on on positive outcomes like bolstering an employer brand and retaining top talent but as you were, as you were talking about just then since the outbreak since q1 of 2020 during these hard times hr pros are on the front lines and they're, they're forced now to, to have tough conversations ad- administer those layoffs and scale back corporate ambitions since the outbreak, Suzanne, do you think that HR, perhaps more than any other department in a company, has been under extreme pressure and stress? I would love to say yes. We, of course, have suffered the most. But I couldn't swear on a stack of Bibles that that was true. But definitely there has been this extreme pressure and stress. Because as I said, not only did did we have to deal with those, you know, the layoffs, and sometimes we got laid off ourselves, um, certainly, HR was not immune from that. Um, that so many, many legal changes and that came across our desks that we needed to implement. And this is something, you know, from a positive standpoint. I run an HR group on Facebook, and I have never in my life seen so many strangers work together so well um, because we were all facing all of these new regulations and people started sharing and here's my sample policy and someone would ask a question and 45 people would give an answer and just 
while we were under this pressure, I mean, we still are, but everybody really, really worked together um, to, to come up with solutions. Even when, you know, like I said, the, we're virtual strangers who haven't met these people, but everybody was so, so willing to work together. And I really think that that level of the human in human resources really shone through in this, in this really unpleasant year. Are you wondering how to help your teams reach peak performance in 2021? Find out this February 24th at the IntelliHR Performance Summit, The Science of High-Performing Business, and hear how top leaders, including the Toronto Raptors' Teresa Rush, build successful teams. Get your free tickets for this online event at IntelliHR.co forward slash Performance Summit 2021. And bring your CEO too. They'll love it. Now, as part of my homework, uh, I, was, I was reading a couple of interviews with you, um, and within one of those, you suggested there are swings and roundabouts. There are there are pros and there are negatives with with working from home, and, and certainly I agree with you. But from from my experience, from many of the firms that I've spoken with, that they continue to believe that the traditional corporate working environment, one in which employees work from the office, is actually the most desirable and inevitable outcome once we're through the pandemic. Do you believe that, Suzanne, despite all the talk of how the ways we work have altered forever, um, that actually most of us will in fact return to more traditional ways of working once we're once we're through this terrible time? I don't think that that's true. I think that the, the doors to remote work have opened and that they're not closing. Now, I do think that a large group of people will return to the office. There's a lot of people that do prefer it. And quite frankly, there are a lot of jobs that can be done from home that actually are better in a, you know, a group environment. So I do think a lot of those people will. But there's a lot of jobs that are never coming back to the office. In some cases, businesses have actually given up their leases, which made total sense. You know, why should I be paying rent if no one's there? And realizing that, gosh, what a cost saving this is to have everybody at home. They're not necessarily going to want to do that. Other people have determined that, oh goodness, I'm not as bound by geography as I once was. And when you think about that, you know, before you had, you know, maybe an hour's drive radius around your office that you could hire. Now, if you can say, well, I can have this job remote, then you have this huge expanded radius in which you can hire. And it's really just depending on the legal things of can I have this person in this other country or this person in another state or, you know, whatever work for me from a legal standpoint. Otherwise, you know, the sky's the limit. And that's really not something that can possibly go away. And one of these big things in the United States um, is there's a law protecting people with disabilities, and it requires that you make a reasonable accommodation for people. And one thing that a lot of people have been fighting for for a long time was the concept of being able to work from home as an accommodation for disability. And a lot of companies are really fight back on that. But now after someone's been working at home for a year, you're not going to be able to say with a straight face, oh, now you, you know, now you have back pain and you need to work from home. No, this job can't be done from home. They're going to be like, look, I did this job from home for a year and it was no problem. So that's going to change how legal compliance looks as well. I mean, this is 
this is something that the impact is not going to go away. We are not ever going to return to the exact same thing we were before. I mean, even big companies, um, Facebook uh, announced and, and uh, oh, I don't remember someone else, Google, I think, announced that they were now sending people out um, and uh, having them work at home exclusively. And, you know, when, when the big boys start doing that, more people are going to follow. But there are maybe a, a bunch of potential negatives to, to the cohesiveness of the company's culture when most people, most of their workforce has to work from home. You know, for example, loss of camaraderie, lack of learning through programs or simple osmosis when you're picking things up in the office or inability to spot when employees are suffering from stress and anxiety. But, but maybe... Let, let's sw switch this on its head, Suzanne, and, and talk a bit about what are some of those positives. Can, can a company's culture be maintained and even enhanced when its employees are disparate for a long period of time? What, what do you think goes into making that happen? And what have we learned about ourselves as, as a result of being thrown into remote work environments from a, from a company culture perspective? The, the thing is, is that the culture has to change. Um, just because how we work together changes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing uh, the, to have a, a culture change as long as that culture is still positive. But like the things that you mentioned about stress and anxiety and being able to spot those things does become a lot more difficult and it puts the employees on their own. Um, for, for me, and I have... I've worked from home exclusively for 12 years. So I'm an at-home worker anyway. But I think the healthiest is sometimes in the office and sometimes at home for a lot of the reasons that you said. When when you're talking about culture and building relationships, it it's really hard to do um, remotely. Um, and it takes a while to build those relationships and people don't, it's harder to read people via text than it is face to face. You know, it, it's much easier to crack a joke when you're face to face than when you're, when you're texting it back and forth because the body language isn't there and you know, the expressions and all of that stuff, it, it's, it's not there and it can become very difficult. And this becomes a, new task for HR if you're having a remote workforce the training kind of changes you know what's an appropriate thing to type versus what's an appropriate thing to say and how do we get to know each other without making it forced and so you've got to figure out how to organically build relationships among people who never see each other and that's really hard Let's talk a bit about blended workforces now, if you don't mind. What about the what about the increased adoption of of gig and contingent workers as a result of everything that's happened over the last year or so? Is the blended workforce really here to stay? If so, why? If not, why not? I hope it's here to stay. Um, this is this is me. Um, I do consulting work. I you know I work for myself. Um, I love having multiple. Um, income streams. I mean, one of the things that I did in my corporate life as HR is I did layoffs. And, and when you just have the one job, when you get 
laid off or made redundant, that's the end of your income source. For me, if one client fires me, it's a huge bummer, but I've got, you know, 10 other clients and then I can just search to fill that one small piece. So I'm not the only person that feels that way. Um, but a lot of politicians really don't like the idea of it. And so within, you know, the U.S., California is working really hard to destroy the gig workforce. Um, New Jersey is doing the same. And they do so under the guise of employee protections. But there's a lot of people that don't don't want that. And people are fighting back. Um, there are some great things, as I said, about being in a gig gig workforce, um, but there are some terrible things about it too. There is no continuity. There are very few rights. Um, you know, in the U.S., it's illegal to fire someone because of their age, um, if they're over forty. But because I'm a contractor, someone could controlling my, you know, who is dealing with my contract could say, you know what, we want someone younger and can me. And there's nothing I can do about that because there's no protection for me as a contractor versus me as an employee. And so there are some serious concerns about that, but the gig workforce is really here to stay. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, as I said, a lot of people are preferring it. And when we're talking about remote work, one of the difficult things about true remote work where, you know, you can sit anywhere and work, as I said, you know, my, I'm sitting in Switzerland, my clients are all in the US. The main reason that they can hire me here is because I am a contractor and I'm not an employee. So when people want to open their hiring to the entire world by working with contractors instead of working with direct employees, that also opens their their doors to to hire globally. Um, now, of course, there are rules and regulations over what constitutes an employee versus a contractor, but that's very, very boring. <laughs> but um, that type of thing is going to really help businesses expand and helps people come in from all sorts of places. So I think it's here to stay. I think that it will go through growing pains um, as it has been going through growing pains, but it's it's here. Uh, when you were giving me that answer, then Suzanne, um, this is just the way my mind works. Uh, my mind, my mind, partly went to that that episode of The Office, which uh, uh, tackles ageism. Uh, maybe maybe I'll, I'll add a I'll add a note in the in the a link in the show notes, um, so you can learn how not to approach ageism in the workplace. <laughs> Love that show. Love that show. Okay, so I, I recently watched a presentation by you, and, and it was a at a disrupt event in, in which you asked the question: If you're if you're in need of a job, uh, what is the most important skill to have? Now, lots of people are currently out of work. I mean, jobs are rebounding, which is fantastic. But do you think that the skills that we need to to get and to keep a job, you know, a traditional job, away from what we were just talking about a moment ago, you know, a traditional job, so to speak, do you think those skills have, have changed since the start of the pandemic? I think some of them have changed and some of them have not. Um, one thing is we all needed to become a little bit more technically, technology, technologically, there we go, that's the word, technologically um, competent because we're dealing with remote work and there's not an IT department down the hall that can come fix your computer um, right then. If your printer jams, it's up to you <laughs> to unjam it. Um, there's 
there's all of those things that become different when, when we're doing remote work. Um, but one of the biggest things that as a huge change in the pandemic is this concept of agility. And this is something that HR people talk about all of the time. We need to be agile. We need to be able to turn on a dime. But we said this and we didn't really mean it. Um, with the pandemic, we started to really mean it. Suddenly, we had to turn everything around, often overnight. And we saw this happening. I mean, one of the things that I just still find kind of mysterious to me is how overnight um, all of the grocery store cashiers were behind these plexiglass shields. And I want to know who are these plexiglass manufacturers and what did they do to suddenly, you know, I, I don't know, increase their business a hundredfold. It must've been, it must've been, you know, what were they making before that they stopped making in order to, to create um, these plexiglass shields for everything and everybody that you see everywhere now, that is something that, you know, that's agility right there. They didn't have months to plan and let's figure out a design. I mean, I went to the um, optometrist to, to get my eyes checked and he had a custom made plexiglass thing that went over his little eye checker thingy. And this is how confident I am about optometry, you know, so that when he's looking into my eyes, there was a plexiglass shield keeping us from breathing on each other. Somebody had to design that and make that. And they, they did it so quickly. And these types of skills really came out in this pandemic, this ability to do change. And, you know, the plexiglass is just one tiny, tiny piece of that. Um, so many companies did so much changing. And if you couldn't change, your company no longer exists. It's gone. Um, you know, just... It, it just, it doesn't exist because of all the business shutdowns and all of the restrictions. You just couldn't survive if you couldn't do things differently. And so that real agility that got us through the pandemic, hopefully, fingers crossed, things will get better and we won't need that level of agility when the pandemic is over. But this is my negative Nelly coming out. This is not our last pandemic. <laughs> this is going to happen again. Hopefully not in my lifetime, but it will. Um, but you're going to need similar responses to other things. And so that skill is going to be something that's going forward. Uh, but it probably will not be as extreme as the need for it right now and as it was in the beginning of the, of the pandemic. I agree with everything you've said so far, but I do hope you're wrong in terms of this not being uh, the, our last pandemic. Or well, certainly, at least, let, let's hope that we don't see one again in our lifetimes. Let's, um, let's I, hope I, that. <laughs> I, I recently did an interview with uh, Marcus Babbitts, and and he he predicted that the current pandemic we're living through is going to go on for years and years and years in, in some fashion or other. And and his arguments were pretty compelling. But hopefully. Hopefully, let, let, let's try and end here on a bit of a positive note. We've only got a couple of questions left today. Um, there is some degree of end in sight as, as vaccines are being rolled out and and most of us will will get shots later this year, I, I hope, fingers crossed. But what do you see as the main priorities then um, for, for HR department in terms of facilitating a, a re return to some degree of 
normality in the workplace. So, so far, you've explained that in, in your opinion, um, there will be some kind of blended or hybrid model where folk have got used to working from home, but you can't you can't fully replace in-person contact sometimes. So maybe it's a case of going into the office a couple of days a week, or maybe you're going to be working all the time from home, but you still want to meet up with people in person and do business in person, have a coffee and get to know people in, in person, right? Um, so yeah, what, what do you think are the main priorities for, for HR pros as, as they try and facilitate some of that return to whatever normality means on the go forward? I think the big thing for HR pros is to get the policies right. And we talked about company culture a little bit, and this is where company culture can really, really step in. And this is where HR needs to step in and say, look, you know, if we have these flexible policies or whatever, allow part-time telecommuting or whatever works for your business, you know, we'll be able to maintain this company culture. If we start forcing people to do things, you're going to lose some employees and, and you don't want to do that. The other thing is with the vaccination, um, really getting it is dependent on where you live and how old you are and how sick you are. Um, and some people are going to be, it's going to be a while um, before, before you get it. I mean, right now in Switzerland, they are still vaccinating only 75 and older and people with serious health conditions. Um, I'm 47. It's going to be a while before I'm eligible for one. And, um, you know, businesses are going to be dealing with that. You know, a lot of companies, when the vaccine rolled out, I got a lot of CEOs saying, I want to make the vaccine mandatory. You know, can I write a policy for that? And I'm like, sure, you can write a policy for that. But what good does it do to have a policy that no one can follow? Like, you can say, Suzanne, you have to get a vaccine. And I say, great, but I'm not getting one for at least six months, if not longer, because it's just not available to me. You know, so you've got to really think through some of these, these things and HR needs to be there to, to tell the CEOs to chill out. Um, you need to, you need to calm down. We need to work this out, but you need to, you're going to have to wait. And they're going to be dealing with people who are upset about um, still having to wear a mask, for instance, after they've been vaccinated. Well, that's still the guidance we're getting from the Center for Disease Control. And the, all the things that HR is, doctors is not one of them. So, you know, we have to go with this outside advice. And then as countries slowly change and as travel changes, how do you implement your travel policy? Do you require someone to have a vaccine before they travel? Um, then what do you do if someone has a disability um, that prevents them from getting a vaccine? Um, or if someone who is pregnant or um, has religious objections, then how are you going to handle that? And there's just so much in the policy space, which again, isn't the snazzy out front, you know, here, let me put on this seminar for you that you all clap and cheer because it's so much fun. It's sitting in the office, it's talking to lawyers, it's talking to experts, it's communicating with other HR people, it's figuring out what's best for our company at this time. And that's going to be a lot of what's necessary. And the thing is, is if we do it well, the employees won't even notice. 
But if we do it poorly, it will be really destructive to the company and the company culture. Okay, so what I'm hearing from part of your answer there, and let's just reiterate that with our listeners, is the evil HR lady is saying to you listeners, it's it's your responsibility to go to your leaders and say, chill out. We'll get it right, but we've just got to we've just got to take our times and do it properly. Don't get stressed. Don't push me too hard. I'm the HR person. I will let you know when we can do things at the right times and just chill out. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. All right. um, <laughs> before we wrap up for today, Suzanne, uh, how can our listeners connect with you? Whether that's through LinkedIn, email, Twitter. Please share those details. And also, how can they follow the awesome Evil HR Lady blog? Well. So you can follow the awesome Evil HR Lady blog at evilhrlady.org. And there is even a little button where you can sign up for the newsletter. And that means everything that's posted there lands in your email inbox, which is great. Um, You can join my Facebook group. It is called Evil HR Lady. And it's open to all HR professionals anybody that care and anybody that cares about business. So if you have a question yourself about something um, HR related, you're, you're welcome to join um, that, that group. And it's really a great community, as I said before. And then you can find me on Twitter at real evil HR lady. You can find me on LinkedIn under my actual name <laughs> and which is Suzanne Lucas. And then you can email me at evil HR lady at gmail.com so i'm pretty easy to find and if you forgot all that just google evil hr lady and i will pop up brilliant and listeners i actually just clicked the button to join the evil hr lady facebook group oh she's asking me a question now why are you interested in joining the evil hr lady group i'm going to reply (laughs) well i was thinking maybe Suzanne, i could just write because you told me to is is that okay you you might want to write a real answer because if one of my mods sees it and it just says because you told me to, then you'll get you'll get <laughs> Okay. Well then I'll take my time and, and I'll chill out. Good. That's the way to do it. I'll I'll chill out. I'll take my time and I'll get my answer correct. Um but for now, that just leads me to say, Suzanne Lucas, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thanks so much for having me. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working and please do stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.